Good morning, everyone. We're so glad to be with you today. Uh, Summer and Julie and I have been looking forward to coming here to Faith for weeks now. We happened to see your pastor at Walmart over here in Arkadelphia one day as we were blowing through on our way. And um, I said, hey, Brother Jeff. He turned around and looked and saw it was me, and we had a good, well, we hugged there, but I didn't kiss you, did I? Anyway, we had a good visit there, and he said, we're looking forward, but it seems like it's so long before you get there. And I said, it does, doesn't it? But the time passed quickly enough, so here we are, and thank you all. You've blessed us abundantly already. You know, we could get back in the truck and get on the road and go on and say, thank you, Lord, for Faith Baptist Church, because you have been wonderful to us so far. Thank you for a lovely dinner last night, good time of fellowship. Thank you for your warmth and for your friendship this morning. We're so glad that we are here. It's good to see many friends, and uh, some of you new friends, some of you old friends, some of you really old friends. What happened? in The length of time we've been gone, I think it happened to a lot of us, didn't it? Um, I'm glad my Uncle John and Aunt Rose are here this morning from across town. It's always a joy to be with them. We were at our home church in Gould last Sunday. Uh, Uncle John's sister, my Aunt Shirley, and uh, her husband, Uncle Galen, celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary at Landmark Baptist Church over in Gould last Sunday. So we were together there. It's a special blessing to be together with you again this morning, Unc. And uh, thank you for coming over. He's my father's brother. My father went to be with the Lord in 1982. And in a lot of ways, Uncle John has been like a father to me since that time. And I love you. And Aunt Rose, too. Isn't she pretty? Look how pretty she is. Brother David Bunning, it's so good to see you. David and I have been friends, seem like, for nearly a lifetime. It's not quite, but for a long, long time. And I'm so glad to renew our fellowship with you, Brother David, last night and your lovely family. Well... We have other family members here with us today, aside from Julie and Summer and me. And you all might have expected that they would be coming along, so I might as well, I might as well introduce them to you. Some of you met these two years ago when we were here. Others of you perhaps have never met them before in all of your life. And you're, I know you're already thinking, what on earth are you doing playing with stuffed animals? I'm not ashamed to tell you that I play with stuffed animals. Neither am I ashamed to tell you that these little animals sit on the side of our bed where we make our, our room on the ship. And you think, well, you're too old to be playing with these. I know it, and I don't care. <laughs> our missionary monkey, Stanley. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. He, uh, he's been helping us a long time with our ministry to children. And whenever we come to a, a village... In the place where we are now, in the Republic of Palau, they don't call them villages, they call them hamlets. And in every hamlet where we go, there's always a crowd of children. And uh, we bring out these monkeys, and most of them are really eager to see the monkeys and to hold them. One little boy, I pulled Stanley out of his bag the other day, and he screamed and jumped up and ran away. I don't have any idea where the kid went, Brother Jeff, but he didn't come back. He thought this was a living monkey, I guess. 
But this is Stanley, and Stanley has his own Facebook page. He wrote a post last night or yesterday late sometime, and if you didn't read that, look at Stanley's missionary journey, and you'll find, you'll find Stanley's missionary uh, post that he writes from time to time. You say he's a monkey, he's a stuffed monkey, he's not writing. I mean, if he was a living monkey, he wouldn't be writing. Right? I know, I'm the one doing the writing. But anyway, Stanley gets the credit. And uh, the kids really love to, to, to hold Stanley when we're in church. So I need some volunteers to help take care of Stanley this morning. Who wants to do this? Who, who, who wants to, who? I think the Oh, the children are coming? Yes. There they are. That's wonderful. Now we've got plenty of people for Stanley and Yanni and, and Bongo to sit with. They need to come on in. Anyway, when we go to these hamlets and we talk to the people, you know, the children will gather up, and we've got a video I'm going to show you. You'll see some of them in one of these video clips in just a moment. And, uh, oh, no. We're glad to bring Stanley and Yanni with us today. I'm looking for somebody to volunteer to hold Yanni. Would you hold Yanni for us, please? Would you like to hold Stanley for us? Okay, now Stanley, he may bite, so be careful with him. <laughs> and here's baby Bongo. Who wants to hold baby Bongo this morning? Okay. <laughs> Here you go, sweetheart. Thank you. Y'all make these little monkeys behave now in church, okay? You see the reaction of the kids to these monkeys. And you know what? It's really amazing whenever we're, we're sharing the Word with people in these places like that, how much the adults will take an interest in these also. There's one old fellow not too long ago wanted to hold Stanley. He asked in particular, can I hold that one? I said, yes, and, and he held it, and he loved on that little monkey just like you probably would if I let you hold him. Sorry, but the kids beat you to them this morning. We teach Bible lessons, Bible verses, sometimes even a song, using these little monkeys as, as props. So, uh, you know, you do what you have to do. You look for different ways. This actually was Summer's idea. You all know that Summer is South African. And these monkeys came from Africa. She said, we can use these teaching children. And she was right. And uh, it's very effective. Well, anyway, we're going to show you a video. And um, I hope you enjoy seeing it. Uncle John and Aunt Rose have seen it already whenever we presented this. But I want them to see it again. So be sure, David, you be sure that you look over there at him from time to time. Okay? Make sure he's not drifting off asleep. Because I want them to see this again. The um, thing that we'll show you, I'm just going to narrate it. So you can look at it, you'll see, and you'll understand a little bit about what's going on with us and where we are right now. We probably ought to turn off our lights, Brother Jeff, if we can, so you guys can see it better. Remote Island Ministries, we're still sent out by Victory Baptist Church in Sherwood, Arkansas. And uh, we're working now the waters of Micronesia. We moved away from the Philippines about 556 nautical miles to the east of Mindanao in the Philippines. Now we're working in the western Caroline Islands and the greater Micronesian Islands. The picture that you see right here, this is how we go from the shore to the ship, from the ship to the shore. And you see that little boat is very useful. It's a fast little inflatable rib, but 
It's not all we need, and I'll show you some more about that in a few moments, what we're building to help us with our cargo needs from the ship to the shore. We have a lot of storms in, the, in that area. We're right in the intertropical conversion zone, and typhoons, big typhoons, usually form just to the east and south of us, and then they make their way up toward mainland Asia. Uh, this was a storm that we had in January, 115 mile an hour winds in that typhoon. It was category three. We've already had some typhoons this year, uh, one of them a category five at 160 mile an hour sustained winds. That typhoon that, that uh, struck Japan the other day originated with Palau. So uh, that was our gift to Japan. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't like that, but there's nothing we can do about it. We maintain our ship every single month. This is dry docks. You can see, you see that rudder, Brother David? We were talking about that last night. We have to, to, to really take care of the ship because dry docking is once every five years. It's a very expensive thing. So you saw it on the rails in the dry dock over in the Philippines. Now underneath it, every single month, we have to go down underneath it, scrub it. We polish the propeller like what we're doing right there. We keep the hull nice and clean so that the barnacles and the other growth on it uh, don't slow us down. A clean hull on a ship like this will mean a fast ship, and when we cover a lot of territory, we need to go as fast as we can. This boat is not a fast boat. She is a motor sailor. We can cruise the vessel at about 6.5 to 7.2 knots. Now, we do all of our own maintenance. You saw me there, also here in the engine room. There's our son Justin, by the way. Greetings from Justin. He and his friend Tim are keeping the ship while we're here in the United States. You'll see a picture of Tim working with some children in just a moment. Now, some of you have asked this morning what we do when we have a storm. We have a typhoon hideout. We can go inside this cove. There are islands around us. They're small islands, but they do give some shelter from the wind and from the breaking surf and the swells. We go inside this and we anchor the ship, tying it off to about 2,800 pounds of, of weight in 81 feet of water. And that's a place where we can go, as you can see, on a nice day, the water's nice and calm. There's the ship, thanks to Justin's drone photography. In fact, this, uh, this video is compliments of our son Justin and his friend Tim. They were the ones who put all of it together. Now, I can tell you a lot about keeping up with a ship. It's a big job, and it's a continual job. But the main thing that we do is minister the Word of God to people. If we were not sharing Bibles with the people, teaching them the Word of God, preaching to them, winning them to the Lord, then we wouldn't be doing our job. So in that area, we have found a new opportunity to carry on ministry like we've been doing for the last 23 years in the Philippines. We have been now one full year in the Republic of Palau. Our home port is Koror, Palau. If you look on a map, you'll find that the, the islands of Palau are just dry spots in the middle of the ocean. We're 3,000 miles south, southwest of Hawaii. So we're right out in the middle of the ocean, about 490 miles north of New Guinea. But there are people on those islands out there who need Christ. Main religions out there on those islands are Catholicism and Seventh-day Adventism. So we go there to teach them the Word of God, lead them to the Lord, and help to plant churches among them. You see us giving some Bibles right here and there again, uh, here again. This year alone, from, from January to the first week of June, we had placed 1,200 Bibles with people, one at a time. 
And with all of those, we give a Bible, we open it, we read a verse and ask, do you understand what this means? Do you, do you understand what it's saying to you? If they say yes, then that's very good. We pray together and we encourage them in their faith. But so often they say, no, I cannot understand this. What does it mean? It's like Philip and the eunuch of Ethiopia. So we have an opportunity to win them to the Lord and pray with them right there on the spot. So going back soon, we're going to be able to follow up with many of those that we left in June. And uh, I know that in two hamlets, they're already asking if we will come and help establish churches. So that's a very exciting thing for us. Now this is the first time that we've gone beyond the Philippines and we're working in Micronesia, as I said a moment ago. We are the first ABA-sponsored missionary family in Micronesia in the 93-year history of our association of churches. We've never sent anybody into that region, and we know why now. If you don't have a boat that's a big, strong boat that can sail very far, you just can't reach those islands. Now, as I said a moment ago, we work from the port of Koror in Palau. The eastern, or yes, the easternmost destination of our ship is Majuro in the Marshall Islands. That's 1,800 miles, and there are 2,100 islands in that length along the seventh parallel above the equator. 2,100 islands, 681,000 people, 1 million square miles of ocean. Folks, that's our ministry domain. Now, you've seen pictures of the ship here. There are pictures of the boat out there in, in the hallway. God has given us an unprecedented opportunity to reach people in places like that. Here's Stanley. You can see him coming out of the back and teaching the children right here and how excited they get. But we have an unprecedented opportunity to reach people in that part of the world. Because we have the ship, we have the tools and equipment necessary, and we have the hearts to go. We need to carry on with this, and with your help and other churches like you, then we're going to be able to carry on. This church right here sponsored us or helped us financially from the very beginning of our work in the Philippines way back in 1994. I want to say thank you for staying with us all of these years, and I want to ask you also, please don't give up on us now. The challenge that is facing us today is greater than it ever has been, in part because of the tremendous ocean distances that we have to cross in order to get to these people. Now, we're putting together a container load of supplies right now. Uh, the trailer that you've seen out here on the parking lot has some supplies in it. We've already delivered a lot of them to the warehouse over in Hamburg. If you have an interest in helping with that, Summer can set you up with a list of things that are needed, but we've got to get them to the warehouse by the 15th of this month. That's coming up next week. We're going to be shipping that load of supplies out there and delivering it to people who are in need on these remote islands. We still drill water wells. Now, some of you were asking last night about that. This is our well drilling machine, one of the last wells that we drilled there in the Republic of Palau. We were drilling, in fact, in an area that was heavily bombarded during World War II, and I prayed every twist of that drill, I think, to not strike an unexploded bomb underneath there. A friend of ours from, from Australia, he and his wife, work for a demining company, and they have uncovered 168 thousand pieces of unexploded ordnance in that island just in three years. So when we drill a hole, you know that I'm hoping we don't hit a bomb underneath there because it can happen and it would explode. So, uh, you know, we, we pick our places and we drill carefully. That drill, uh, that hole right there was a 60-foot hole, 
eight inches diameter. We drilled through three layers of clay and then into lignite shale where we found water. We had a nice refreshing rainfall during the process of drilling there. We will continue to drill water wells on as many of these islands as we can in as many places possible because people in those remote areas are desperate for sanitary water. Most of them drink the rainwater, and that's fine if it's fresh. But when it's not fresh, it makes them very sick. So we carry on with that kind of work also, and all of the other humanitarian aid projects that we do in order that we might effectively preach the gospel of Christ among them. That is our home port right there. That's Malakal Harbor. If you want to Google that and try to find Palau, look for Malakal Harbor. In fact, if you go to Google Earth, you might even, if they've got updated pictures, you might even find a picture of the ship laying at, at its anchor or at its anchorage there in Malakal. That map right there shows the extent of our work from the Philippines, Koror Palau to Majuro, right over along the international date line. That's that 1,800 mile stretch along the seventh parallel. It takes a lot of diesel fuel for us to go, and diesel fuel is costing us about $5.20 per gallon right now. The main bunkers hold 1,000 gallons. It doesn't take a lot of quick math to figure out every time we load the thing with fuel, we drop at least $5,000. So we need to continue on doing this work, but it means we've got to be able to buy diesel. Now this is a boat here that we're building. This boat is a service boat. That was the hull that we built. We did the buoyancy test to see how much weight we can put in that hull. It held 2,000 pounds of loose cargo in addition to the weight of its engine. Uh, this is a service boat. It's a miniature LST with ramps in the front. You saw the pictures of it where we can load our ATV in it. We have a, a collapsible two-wheel trailer for the ATV that we've made thanks to our helper Jerry Hardman from Beach Grove Church in Fordyce. Now we have medical equipment, we have medical tents, we have ki all kinds of cargo that we need to take to these islands, but that ship right there draws 11 feet of water. We have found working in Micronesia that all of the islands are atolls that have barrier reefs around them. In most cases we can't put our ship in very close to the island, otherwise we ground the ship on the reef. We have to anchor sometimes a quarter, half, or even up to a mile off of that island in deeper water, and then we need to be able to get to the shore with our cargo, with all of the supplies, our Bibles, everything that we need. So that means, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. We designed another boat that we will tow behind the big ship. You saw pictures of it right there. It will be powered by a Mercury 115-horse outboard motor. It will be able to carry our cargo, drop the ramps right across on the, of the barrier reefs, right across the barrier reefs, right up on the beaches, drop the ramps, and off the cargo goes, and we'll be able to do very effective work on those islands. Now, we needed to raise about $25,000 to build that boat and to equip it. Thanks to the Lord's people, we reached that goal, and we've been able now to get that paid for. It's just a matter of finishing it and taking delivery of that boat from our boat factory over in the Philippines. It's owned by a friend of ours, and by November or early December it should be there. We'll be ready then to employ that boat, and, or to deploy that boat rather, and do our work. So this is what I wanted to share with you to give you a little bit of an update on where we are and what we're doing. Now, many times people, we can turn on the lights, thank you, Pastor. Many people are saying, well, you know, you're, How's the work going in the Philippines? Well, the work is going fine over in the Philippines. 
the work that we did through all of those years, 21 full years uh, there in the Philippines, and then the last uh, year and a half, two years that we were there, we moved away from the port of Davao. We actually sailed that ship from the deep southern Philippines all the way into Manila Bay and Subic Bay, and all the way from eastern to western Visayas, and we did a lot of work among all of our churches there. See, through the years, you all know that I was the director of our seminary there in Davao. We trained about 800-plus students in that school. Many of them went out and planted churches in different parts of the Philippines. So with the sailing ship in our last year and a half that we were there, we made the rounds, visiting our student pastors out there in those places, strengthening and supplying them with the things that they needed. But then the time came for us to launch out farther from the Philippines. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he stepped into his boat? He said, launch out into the deep for a draft of fish. And that's what Peter did. And we sort of took a cue from that because we launched out into the deep also. In fact, on our passage from the Philippines to Koror Palau, we crossed the two deepest places in the ocean uh, in all of the world. We crossed the Philippine Trench and then we crossed the Marianas Trench. We're in deep waters now, and we're far, far away in places where only people like us can reach those people who are living on those islands. Most of them, their whole world is from where they see the sunrise in the morning and where they see the sunset in the afternoon. They live on isolated, dry spots in the ocean, but we're equipped to go and share the gospel of Christ with them wherever they are. That's the burden God has laid on our hearts. We've prayed for it for years. Someone asked the other day, well, when are you going to do this? We're not going to do it, folks. We've already been doing it for a little over a year. We're just going farther and farther and farther away. And thank the Lord for such an opportunity as this. When I went to the Philippines in 94, we had a landlocked ministry. But I began to realize the potential of reaching farther out by sea. We started building boats then. This is number five. Our service boat that we're building is actually number six. So we've learned a lot about working in, in the sea. We know what kind of equipment is necessary. Even right there in that black trailer outside, some of you have seen what we have there, a beautiful new deck crane that's going on the decks of that big sailing ship. It's going to help us loading our cargo from the ship down into our new little cargo boat and from the cargo boat back onto the ship, or from the pier to the ship, and vice versa. You know, I'm getting old. And honestly, I, I, I used to think I could lift anything, but I know now that I can't. So I'm going to get some machinery that can help me do that. And that's one of those tools, thanks to an offering that was given to us that was very special. Anyway, this is the work that we're doing, you guys. We're going to go on and on and on and on, but we need some help. Now, you say, yeah, you're a missionary, you're always going to need money. Well, I, I won't, you know, I'll be honest enough with you to say, yes, that's true. And this may be one of the most expensive mission projects in the world, depending on how much diesel we buy. But that's not what I'm talking about. I want to talk about another opportunity, and I'm going to aim this right straight at Brother Daniel Ward. We have a program for training young people 18 years of age to 25. We're going to really kick this into motion in January where we will invite those young people who qualify, who are interested to live at sea for a period of time to come over and help us on that sailing ship. 
The minimum length of time will be three months. Maximum length of time, six months. The cost, aside from their airfare to get wherever they are to wherever we are, will be about $600 a month for their upkeep on the ship and their contribution to the things that are needed to carry on the work. But when they come, we're going to be teaching them to do every single thing that we do, from maintaining that ship to navigating that ship, hauling up the sails, hauling down the sails, trimming the sails, carrying on with that work to reach the far places. We're going to teach them how we drill water wells. We're going to teach them how we feed the hungry people on those islands. We're going to teach them everything that we do. We can even desalinate water, converting seawater to fresh drinking water at a rate of 13,000 gallons per day. Can you imagine that? We can furnish an entire island with the drinking water they need just from the machinery that we have on the ship. But most importantly, we're going to be teaching these young people how to minister to people in that setting how to take the Word of God, sit down with them, lead them in the Bible studies, pray with them, lead them to the Lord. These are the kinds of things that we're going to be doing, and we need some volunteers who will say, I want to get involved in that. Now again, the ages are, are 18, minimum age, to 25. Some have said, well, I'm 26. A young man asked me the other day, he said, I'm 26, do I not qualify anymore? I said, yeah, we can make an exception for you. But single, with no responsibilities other than themselves, parents who are willing to let them go, churches who are willing to help sponsor them so that they can go. You know, many of us like to do these short-term mission trips. Well, this is a short-term mission trip to the 10th power. We also do medical work out there. We have a medical tent, 18 feet wide, 35 feet long fully furnished as a dental, surgical, triage, and recovery operation. We have two other tents that will be part of our medical camps, two 20-foot by 20-foot tents with 11-foot ceiling height inside. The medical tent we have for the surgery is air-conditioned, can you imagine that? With the LED lighting and everything inside. We have a staff of doctors from Mexico, Brother Jeff, who are saying, we're going to come as soon as you get there and you decide where our first project's going to be. We have a dentist, a general surgeon, a maxillofacial surgeon to, to repair the cleft lip and palate. All of that inside that medical tent. These young people who come to help us are going to have such an opportunity that they can help even with things like that. Now, I've always taught in our seminary over in the Philippines that you divide you, you multiply, rather, you multiply your effort by dividing your responsibilities. When there are people who come and say, we want to volunteer and work with you for a while, I'm going to say, okay, this is what we do. I've been doing it, Summer's been doing it, Justin, Julie, we've been doing these things, but since you're here, let us show you how to do it and give you that responsibility, and then we'll aid you so you can get the job done. Folks, I believe that this is one way we can train some missionaries on site hands-on, right down in the middle of where it's all happening, and maybe some of them will feel in their hearts a desire to stay in these places and carry on the work of the Lord. That will never happen as long as we let people just stay glued to their homes, in front of their TVs, on their cell phones and computers, and not really imagining what possibilities there are out there. 
When I was a kid, I had an imagination that I'm sure my family got so tired of because I would build and float everything that I could. I'd float it until it sank out from under me, and then I'd go build something else. My mama would whip me with a switch so often and a belt eventually when the switch didn't do any good because I played around the water too much, she thought. I had to apologize to my mama, Heather. Just lately, I said, Mother, I'm so sorry that you had to whip me like you did to keep me away from the water because it never did work. <laughs> and she grinned and she said, I know that. I was just teaching you to be careful. I said, oh yeah, I know that too now. We want to teach young people to do what we do, folks. That's the bottom line. Because they need to know. Most of us out there doing these kinds of things are old folks like me. I don't know how many more years I've got that I can do this, but I'm going to go on. Troy, as long as I can do it, I'm going to go on with it. But sooner or later, somebody's going to have to step in behind me and say, I'll do it now. That's the work of the Lord. For too long, there are places in this world that have been neglected. We go to the places that are easy to reach. We go to the circumstances that are easy to manage. I'll tell you something. We go to places that are not easy to reach, and as far as managing is concerned, sometimes you think, I'm never going to survive this. But by the grace of God, we do. And we carry on to make an impact on that part of the world for the Lord. And we just want to open it up and give opportunity to young people to help. Daniel, if you've got any young people who would be interested in something like this during the summer months, I want to know who they are. Okay? Maybe some of these that you brought over here today would say, you know, I want more information about that. We'll get you the information if you're interested. Now, the good thing about that, that kind of a work is it's not set up on a semestral basis where they have to come in at a certain time. It's just set up on the length of time that they plan to stay. They rotate in when there is a vacancy. Stay for three months or up to six months, and then they rotate out. That vacancy will then be filled by somebody else who has the time and the desire to come. So if any of you want to know more about it, you say, I've got, a, I've got a grandson who wants to get involved in this. Or I've got a son or a daughter. It's for male or female, either one. They would like to know more about this. We can help them. Please talk to us about it while we're here today. Look in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. It's almost time for us to go home. I don't know how long your pastor preaches on Sunday morning, but I'm a long time. I'm not going to do that because I want you all to like me more than you do him. <laughs> Acts chapter 14. I've been preaching through the book of Acts during these weeks that we've been here in the States. And we're up to chapter 14 now. And I promise not to be long with this. I just want to share a thought with you uh, very quickly. So Acts chapter 14 verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned, your Bible may say evil affected, they poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. 
and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region, and there they were preaching the gospel. Now, let's think about this for a moment. You may look at this and wonder, well, how on earth are you ever going to get a sermon from that? It's not really a sermon. Just a couple of thoughts for our, our encouragement here today. You know, in the declaration of the Word of God, there are three things that we need desperately. And this, these are the same three things that we've been hitting on now through this summer as I've been preaching from the book of Acts. We need, first of all, to realize that the proclamation of the gospel in our world is urgent. This is not something we can say, well, okay, we'll just wait for a while, or we'll put it off, or, or maybe not now. No, the proclamation of the gospel is urgent. And sometimes we will say, but it's going to cost us too much to do that. It's going to cost a whole lot more if we don't do it. What is the value of a single soul that doesn't hear the gospel of Christ, who dies without Jesus and suffers eternity separated from God? What, what kind of value can we place on that? So the preaching of the gospel is an urgent matter. No time for delay. Now, in, uh, in our culture there in Palau, one of the things that we have learned just in this last year is that they don't like to do anything in a hurry. If you project yourself as being in too much of a hurry, they will say, meaning to say, hey, hey, slow down. I think that's their, their theme of the whole island there. Go slowly, go slowly. Well, I think that there are times when we go slowly, but I think there are other times when we don't go slowly. Because when it comes to the declaration of the gospel of Christ, there are too many people who need to hear. And if we move too slowly, we're going to spend all of our time not reaching the multitudes as we should. So this is an urgent circumstance. But not only that, it's an uncompromising situation. We're not going to go with the gospel of Christ and say, well, maybe it says this, maybe it says that. Or, I'll tell you what you want to hear and we reserve telling them what they need to hear. This is such an urgent matter and uncompromising that it needs to be declared to them plainly. Now you see that in the text that we read here just now. When the apostles got to this place, they set out immediately preaching the gospel of Christ because they had come there to do that. As they preached it, they preached it uncompromisingly, and immediately there were some who said, we don't like that. The Jews and the Greeks, and they all got together, and those Greeks, by the way, were the Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't like the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles did. They'd never heard it. When they heard it, they got excited. Many believed, but the Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews got stirred up over that, and they started plotting against them. Now, if they had compromised the message, maybe there would have been no violence. Perhaps there would have been no interest whatsoever. You know, the devil doesn't like us when we come and we speak honestly to people about their spiritual needs. I can talk to you about the humanitarian aid work that we do. And that's all grand. That's a wonderful thing. But folks, it's a means to an end. 
it gives us an opportunity to talk to people about their souls, about their relationship with God. We're not going there to propagate religion, but we tell them how they can have that relationship with God, and it must be an uncompromising message because there is only one way that a person can have that relationship. It's not in church membership. It's not in good works. It's not in a dozen baptisms or more. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be an uncompromising message like that. But urgency, uncompromising, and then unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the power of God unto salvation revealed from faith unto faith. Now we hear the word of God, faith emerges in our, in our minds as we hear it, and then strikes the heart with conviction, and we trust in Christ, calling on Him as Savior and forgiver of our sin. Now that is the uncompromising message of the gospel, and we must not be ashamed of it. If we are, then there's no hope for our world. We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel in our homes. But a lot of times the things we do in our homes make us ashamed of the gospel because we don't want to identify with righteousness because of what's going on. Know what I'm saying? Hmm? We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel in the classroom. But sometimes the things we get involved with in school make us ashamed of the gospel because it's conflict. In our workplace, we don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. But people who know us and know us best sometimes know what's going on and we're too afraid to speak the gospel. Why? Because when we talk to someone about Jesus, they say, what, you? Really? I know you. But to not be ashamed of the gospel means that we're going to repent of our sin. We're going to get our lives right. And we're going to stand for Jesus wherever we are and in whatever circumstance. And we're going to tell people about how they can be saved. This is what the apostle and his company were doing here in this place. Now I want you to notice something. In verse 1, whenever it says that many of the Jews and the Greeks believed, but then the unbelieving Jews stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against them. What was it that the, the missionaries did? The next verse says that they stayed there for a long time. Now it would have been easy enough to have packed up and run and said, okay, well, this is not going to work out for us here. But you know, I've learned something through all of these years. Whenever there is opposition, whenever there is a threat, it's telling me that we're doing something that counts. Because if there's not opposition, who cares what you're doing? And sometimes I talk to people here and they say, well, it's just too hard for me to witness for Jesus. You might be talking to the wrong person when you say that. I've witnessed for Christ with a shotgun held to the back of my head. I've witnessed for Christ when 
a man facing me from here to the door had an AK-47 leveled at me. I've witnessed for Christ in so many occasions, so many circumstances that I've thought, is this really worth it? It proved itself one night when preaching in a public place in a plaza, and a man approached me and laid down a machete at my feet, and he said, I came here to chop off your head tonight, Pastor, but I cannot harm the man of God. And he turned away. The ministry of the Word of God is always effective. You don't know who's going to be listening, who's going to be watching. But if you don't show yourself courageous, this is another aspect of this. If you don't show yourself clear thinking and willing to speak when your humanity says it's probably best to be quiet, then you'll never amount to what you can for Jesus' sake. Speak up because the world around you needs to hear what you have. These men stayed longer. They spoke boldly in the Lord. He bore them witness by the power of His own hand through their activities. While we're not going to be performing miracles like that, it's not in my power to do that, God gives strength and courage and wisdom and power to do other kinds of things. But stay long. You'll see the effects of it. And the multitude of the city was divided. I see in the Bible, Jesus said that He didn't come to bring unity and harmony. He came to bring division. And the reason for that, folks, in His day is the same today. We stand against the powers of this world who are overwhelming our world. They really are overwhelming our world. We are the last hope of our world, you and I. But it's not going to happen within the walls of a building like this. The world's not going to come in here. But we're going to come here and we're going to get what we need. And we're going to be emboldened and strengthened to go there to our world. You may not go as far as we go and to the remote places where we go. But you go to your world right where you are. And the people around you need you as much as the people out there on those islands need us. But the commitment to go and courageously declare that Jesus saves is what we all need, is what the world needs. Thank you so much for helping us. Thank you for giving us time to be here with you today and to share these thoughts. And we pray God's blessings for you as you carry on in your ministry right here. Brother Jeff, I love you. I love you all, and thank you so much.